This episode is sponsored by me, Andy Hill, the host of this show. If you're looking for someone to support you on your family, wealth, and happiness journey, I'm taking on a select number of coaching clients this year. To work with me one-on-one for your family finances, go to marriagekidsandmoney.com slash coaching to learn more. There's generally fat fire, lean fire, and now there's coast fire. But before coast fire, there's barista fire. So are you confused yet? This show is dedicated to helping you strengthen your family tree and live financially free. Welcome to the Marriage, Kids, and Money podcast, everybody. This is Andy Hill, and today we are going to do two things. First, we're going to have a quick chat with my friend Sam Dogan, the financial samurai, and we're going to be talking about Coast Fire. Yes, I want to dive into this further to learn more about it and maybe help you guys apply it to your situations. And after that, we are back with another interview in our mortgage-free segment. This month, we'll be featuring certified financial educator, Sarah Phillips. She's going to share with us how we can help out our kids to become mortgage-free in the future. I mean, if we love mortgage freedom for ourselves, can you only imagine giving that gift to your kids? All right, let's jump into today's show. Today, I'm happy to be joined by Sam Dogan. Sam is the writer behind Financial Samurai, a blog and podcast dedicated to slicing through money's mysteries. This financial independence platform sees around 50,000 page views per day. So given Sam's vast experience with financial independence, I thought I'd invite him back on the show to discuss a topic we haven't covered very much, but is very popular within our community, and that is Coast Fire or Coast So welcome to the show, Sam. Hey, thanks a lot for having me, Andy. Absolutely, man. So let's dive right into it. So what is Coast Fire? I know you've written about it, and I know it's something that has been covered. So let's talk about it. What is Coast Fire? Well, Coast Fire is a subset of the overall fire definition. And there's generally fat fire, lean fire, and now there's coast fire. But before Coast Fire, there's barista fire. So are you confused yet? (laughs) I think a lot of people are. But it's basically the various stages of fire where, in terms of coast fire, my opinion, now there are actually a lot of different definitions I see out there, but I believe coast fire is a person who is almost completely financially independent, but still needs a job to truly feel comfortable living the fire lifestyle. So let's say the person needs you know, $40,000 a year to live comfortably and you know, provide the lifestyle that they want, but they're passive income, their retirement income, their taxable retirement income only generates $20,000 a year. So they will work at a job to make up for that gap, that $20,000 gap, so they can live like the fire lifestyle. And another you know, common definition, I think, is of coasting through your job. So you have a job that might not be high stress, might not be you know, high paying, but you don't really care. You're just coasting through your job. You're enjoying your job. You're doing what you know, the job entails of you, but it's not about making as much money as possible. It's not about climbing the corporate ladder. It's just about filling that gap where, where your retirement income can't fully cover. Yeah. So you get to a point where you've built your wealth up enough where you've either gained the confidence enough where you don't need to feel like you need to climb the corporate ladder, or you've developed enough into retirement funds where you feel like you have the ability for it to grow on its own. 
grow on its own, but not enough for it to cover your entire lifestyle. So you're you're on the path. Sooner or later, you will get there. This is great Chinese proverb I really like, and that is if the direction is correct, sooner or later you'll get there. And that's really important in terms of if you're saving, you're investing. Sooner or later, you're going to get there, right? And it just depends on when you're going to get there and how aggressively you want to save and invest, and how well your you know investments are going to do. But with Coast Fire, I think that stress of having to work at that job, you know. 40, 50, 60, 70 hours a week and just grind and grind. It's just not there anymore. Almost to that point where you could either pull back on hours or pull back on retirement savings based on how far you've gotten in your fire journey. I agree. Yeah. Got it. So let's talk about somebody who's maybe built up a bunch of retirement savings and, you know, they've gotten to the point where they're throwing their numbers into that compound interest calculator and saying, wow, well, based on a 7% interest rate and growth, I'm going to have a half, um, one and a half million dollars in retirement or $2 million in retirement if I just leave it alone and don't add any other money. Is that feasible? Is that something that people should consider or, and just look at taxable brokerage after that? I mean, these models will spit out whatever you input in them. And whether they come true or not, nobody knows for sure. So that's why a lot of folks will continue to work on their side hustles or have some entrepreneurial endeavor or who will coast fire and work at some kind of job to keep them busy, but also obviously to bring in more income and savings. Um, I don't think anybody, I don't know anybody who has achieved financial independence who just stops doing anything. We all like to do something, you know, that something can bring in some money. That's great. And I, and I think Barista Fire and Coast Fire is quite similar in that regard. You know, it's like you work at the coffee shop. That's easy to understand. You work at the coffee shop, you make minimum wage or a little bit more than minimum wage, and you get some healthcare subsidies. I mean, that's huge. And you get some interaction with your customers and you don't have to work 40 hours a week. But these models are really helpful. And you should always use these models as a scenario analysis. Do a blue sky scenario, a base case scenario and a bear case scenario and see what is that gap between your desired expenses per year or what you you plan to spend every single month and what the potential for your taxable brokerage accounts and other investments, what is that income potential? And if there is a big gap, then try to little work a little bit more and save a little more. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So when you were saving on your journey, let's talk about your, your path a little bit. Was there a point that you switched from investing in tax advantage vehicles like a 401k or IRA and then just switched completely over to taxable brokerage? No, it was always try to max out the 401k as much as possible. So back in 1999, when I first started working, I think the max 401k was around 10,500. And so that was about 25% of my gross income. So I maxed that out. I lived in a studio with another friend and I tried to save about 20% of my after tax, after max 401k. And so as my income grew and my living expenses stayed roughly the same or just grew at a slower pace. After maxing out the tax advantageous accounts, it was just like an afterthought. Like, it was like going to college. It, it was just in my mind, I had to do it. And I never thought there was another option. So I, I embedded that thought process in my head very early on because I knew that I couldn't touch it without a penalty for a long time, right? 59 and a half. 
And so the only way I could generate livable passive income was through my taxable brokerage account and then ultimately through real estate investing and so forth. So I've always tried to max it out. I've always maxed out my 401k, but I've always tried to increase that after 401k and after tax investment savings rate to as high as possible. So my goal was 50% or higher. And that's what I tell my entire community. Try to shoot for 50% or more after you max out your 401k and IRA and stuff like that. And you're going to be good to go. In 10 years, you're going to be amazed at how much you can save. For the people who maybe their income isn't as high and they, you know, after maxing out their 401k, IRA, HSA, things like that, they are tapped for investment. Is there a half and half model that makes sense that still gets you to financial independence in the long run? There's a, I have a debt and investment model, but in terms of uh, like a model for tax advantageous and not, I have a philosophy that if the amount of money you're saving each month doesn't hurt, you're not saving enough. I mean, I maxed out my 401k, 10,500, and I made $40,000 living in Manhattan. So that's like making $24,000 living in Houston or Dallas. And so it was, it was really painful. And I, and I had to make some sacrifices by, you know, living in, you know, I, I thought I had this great job, but I was living in a studio with a friend of mine. So we were just basically living like college students for the next two years. And actually for another two years when I came to San Francisco after that. So I firmly believe that people are underestimating how much they can cut from their budget and how much they can save. And if really there's not enough to save more in your tax after-tax accounts, you've just got to figure out a way to boost your income. And that will come. You know, that'll come with most people who are progressing in their careers. And if you're not progressing in your career, then you've got to focus on things to add more value in your career or change careers. I love it. I love it. So you got to a point where you hit a financial independence moment. And I know we talked about this on the last show, but for the people who have not heard our interview before, when did you hit that point of financial independence and tell us about your life right now? So I left my day job in 2012 and that was when I was generating about $80,000 a year in passive income. So retirement income that I could actually use to fund my lifestyle. And I knew at that point in San Francisco, I would be fine. And one of the reasons why I was fine was because I I calculated my expenses and I knew what they were and they were definitely less than 80,000. But two, I was able to benefit from having a wife who was three years younger, who was able to continue working and who was able to provide health insurance. So we had an agreement where I told her if after three years, when you're my age at 34, you know, things don't fall apart and we're still okay you too can leave your job early and join me, you know, because we're all about equality, right? And it was a wise move because you want to, I think it's wise to have one person try, try before you buy. Not both people jump headfirst into the deep blue ocean. But one person, check it out, no sharks, everything's okay, three years later. And so I was able to have that safety net with my wife. And life, let's be frank, is so much easier when you have a partner who's on board with you. Absolutely. Absolutely. So today we're in a volatile market. This year has been kind of crazy. How much do you live on your current investments in your current situation? We did several things. One, we looked at our budget for the first time in years because because we've been saving over 50% of our income for, I think, like 20 years now. It's just become automatic. And we don't really we didn't really look at our budget. 
And this time we did take a big look at our budget and we basically ranked our highest expenses to the lowest and we systematically cut those highest expenses. And because the stock market corrected by 32% from its peak to its bottom around, I think, March 23rd, 2020, that is, we decided, hey, if the stock market corrected 32%, logically, that is an anticipation of earnings to be cut by 32% or more. And therefore, as a rational household, let's try to cut our household expenses by 32% as well, because we wanted to follow along with the decline. And we also figured that our passive income has a good chance of declining by maybe around 32% as well at some point or another this year or next year. You know, it's not over yet by any means, this recession, and things are going to be, it's going to be tough. And so we did our analysis. And then we did an income strength audit where we looked at every single income line item, gave it a letter grade, and the letter grades of B or lower, you know, we tried to basically model out how much the income would decline over how long of a period of time. And then we looked at low-hanging fruit income opportunities to try to bolster our potential decline. So it's a three-step process. You analyze your existing expenses, you do an income audit, and then you figure out what the low-hanging fruits are. You know, if you have a day job and you you get to work from home and you get to keep your salary, you've got to really focus on increasing visibility and increasing value added to your workforce. Because I will tell you guys right now that many, many managers, I would say most managers, most executives are looking for ways to cut and a lot of these jobs are not coming back once the economy opens. And the thing is, just think about it from a rational perspective. Let's say you're the CEO of Apple or whatever company, and you have had to cut 20% of your workforce. But then you see your stock rising by 80% from the bottom or 100%, or it's actually flat to up. You know, the S&P 500 has rebounded tremendously in, by, by June. And so you're thinking to yourself, well, I was able to cut my workforce by 20%. And the value of my company is flat to up now. Why would I try to hire and, and you know, build up all these expenses when what we're doing is seemingly working? So I hope a lot of people with jobs are increasing their visibility, not, not going to the corner you know, of their room and not you know, adding value. And then for the people who are jobless, I like to say I'm jobless, there are other opportunities. So for example, Financial Samurai, I've been posting three times a week since 2009. And so I told myself, well, why don't I just post more? Well, I'll just post four, four times a week or five times a week. I'll get up an hour earlier, right? There's a correlation with effort and reward with blogging and with podcasting. So why don't I just do more? Makes a lot of sense. I mean, if we have the opportunity to you know, ensure that we're not going to be losing the stable income that we have by putting more effort in. And, you know, I, I think you made a really good point on the superpower that it really is to look at your expenses and see what you can flex because we have no control of the stock market. We have no control of those types of things, but we do have control of what we spend and how we're spending our money. So I think that's a really good message to end with, with our conversation here, Sam. I really appreciate your time today. Where's the best place for people to connect with you and listen to your podcast? My podcast, you know, the funny thing is, I don't really know. Just go on <laughs> any of the platforms, iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, and then you search the Financial Samurai podcast. I think, I think that's the easiest way, right? 
Absolutely. We're doing a little marketing help right now. That's the best place for people to do it. (laughs) (laughs) I I mean, I, I literally sent out an email on my latest post and readers were like, so where do I find your podcast? And I put a link on the below saying, here, click this if you want to listen to my podcast. And they're like, I'm a bad marketer, folks, but (laughs) I think if you go to one of those platforms and you search for Financial Samurai, you'll find it. Well, Sam, a wise guy told me if you get up a little earlier in the day, you can add in a little bit more time to work on your marketing. So there you go. (laughs) Sounds good. (laughs) Sam, I really appreciate your time today. Thanks so much, man. Thank you. Are you looking for someone to walk alongside you on your journey to family financial independence? Well, I would love to help you achieve your goals and help your family thrive. I work with couples, individuals, and families all around the U.S. via video chat and can assist in the following areas. Becoming debt-free, growing your net worth, crafting and sticking to your budget, reviewing Coast Fire plans, developing strategies to build generational wealth for your kids, and designing your future work-optional lifestyle. Doesn't that sound nice? (laughs) If you're interested in working with me one-on-one, you can book a time with me by visiting marriagekidsandmoney.com slash coaching. I would love to help you strengthen your family tree and live financially free. Visit marriagekidsandmoney.com slash coaching to learn more, or you can click the link in our show description. If you're looking to improve your financial situation, it helps when you're able to cut out unnecessary costs. Cell phone services are a necessity for sure, but we don't need to be overpaying for them, right? That's why I like Tello Mobile, a phone service worth talking about. We've been fully on board as a family with Tello for over two years now, and we are so happy that we made the switch. For us, the reception and data service is better than Verizon, and our costs were nearly cut in half. Tello runs on the T-Mobile network and it's wowing new customers like us with their rock bottom prices and stellar service. With over 10,000 reviews, Tello is rated as excellent on Trustpilot, and this is quite rare in the wireless world. Nicole and I went for the unlimited data, minutes, and texting plan for only 25 bucks per month each. Isn't that crazy? You heard that right. $25 is their most expensive plan, actually. And Tello is running a special offer for MKM listeners right now. Check out Tello today at marriagekidsandmoney.com slash Tello. That's marriagekidsandmoney.com slash Tello and use the code MKM20 to get 20% off on your first month of service for any Tello plan above that $10 per month mark. Again, use MKM20 to get 20% off at marriagekidsandmoney.com slash Tello, and you'll be supporting this show. Hurry up. The code is valid until April 19th, 2024. Marriagekidsandmoney.com slash Tello. You guys know I'm all about paying off your mortgage early. It just gives you the sense of freedom and just a boatload of options that were never possible before. So what if we could help our children realize that same dream in the future as well? Well, our guest today, Sarah Phillips, is going to help us figure that out. Sarah Phillips is the creator of the Four Pocket Allowance System. Now, this is a system that helps kids learn about saving, spending, giving, and investing. She is a certified financial educator and is truly passionate about helping kids learn about financial literacy. Welcome to the show, Sarah. 
Thanks so much for having me, Andy. Excellent. Well, I'm glad to have you here. This is a topic that I'm really excited about. So Sarah, when did you decide that it was smart to teach your kids about money? In our house, it all started when my husband and I sat down and said we were getting really frustrated about the endless requests from our kids to buy them things. Can you buy me this? Can you buy me that? As we were going about day to day, whether we were at a store, even going to a museum, there's gift shops there, and they were constantly bombarding us with this question. And it wasn't that we were buying them everything, nine times out of 10 or 99 times out of 100, it was a no, but the question kept coming. And when we sat back and really had a good talk about it between us, not only was it frustrating us, but we weren't really teaching our kids anything through this. They were really using what I like to refer to as the spaghetti method. They were taking all their requests, throwing them against the wall like you do with pasta and seeing what sticks. That was really how they were approaching money. They weren't thinking about which item meant the most to them, which they wanted the most. They weren't prioritizing. They were just full of endless requests. So at that point in time, we said, you know what, this isn't working for us. It's not really serving them. We need to take a step back and really think about how we want to set our kids up financially and what we want to teach them. Oh, God, any parents listening right now would have felt this. And I know I felt it, too. They ask so many times and eventually you just kind of get worn down and say, fine, I'll buy it for you. But that's not what you wanted to do. Right. So what did you do to solve that problem? We sat down, we did a little bit of research, we looked online for some inspiration, and we said, what what are the, the basic tenants we want to have right now? And some of it was their age, they were younger than they are, than they certainly are now. But we saw a lot of allowance systems focused on saving, spending, and giving, and we thought all of those were really important. We also wanted to add in a fourth aspect about around investing, that some of the money they're setting aside isn't going to be passing out of their hands quickly, it's going to be set aside for the long term. So we built that in. We wanted it to be cash. Based. I think in today's society, kids are watching us tap and swipe. And it's a really, when you're young, that's a hard concept. The concept of the money is in the bank and there is something behind it. That's a really hard concept for kids to get. So we wanted something that they could touch and count like we could when we were kids. And we also wanted something convenient. We had like four pots of money. That's 12 jars that a lot of people use. That takes up a lot of space in a house. So we wanted something that was really convenient for us. So we worked together and we came up with the system that worked best for us. That was built around those four particular tenants. Excellent. Well, so talk to us about how you guys, I guess, work that system with them. You've got the four different sections, and maybe this is the first time people are hearing about spending, saving, and giving. Talk about how you guys use that system on a daily basis with your kids. Sure. So I think with anything around parenting, parenting is not a one-size-fits-all. So you have to have some flexibility for what works for you. So what we did in our own house, we decided what worked for us was it was $20. They had to put 10% of that into investing. So building that habit of 10% automatically gets set aside. And another 10% at least had to go into giving. Then we gave them some flexibility between how to divide their money between savings and spending. What money were you allowed to start spending right away? And then we built a lot of talk around goals when it came to savings. What's something that you wanted that you didn't have enough money for yet? I'm big on that word yet. It's a great growth mindset concept. I don't have enough money or I don't have enough money yet. So teaching them that they can build towards something. So we'd worked through a lot of goal setting with them. 
And really, when you set out how much money goes in saving, spending, giving and investing, that's really teaching kids the basics of budgeting, right? They're going to get a certain amount of money. And how do they divide that money? How does it go to different ends is the tenets of what a budget is. And so we're really teaching our kids basic budgeting concepts through doing that without them even really realizing it. We also made sure that we were, as parents, were stockpiling small denominations of money because we knew for us the number one down downfall or reason we might give up on this is if suddenly every two weeks we are trying to break a $20 bill into something smaller to you. So it was important that we set our own, ourselves up for success with this so that it wasn't something that we started with them and then every other week, well, not this week or, oh, we'll get to it tomorrow. We wanted to make sure that from the beginning we were setting ourselves up for success through this. Yeah, that's a great point. Having that consistency is so important, not only for adults, but it's important for kids too to know that, hey, here's what we're doing as a family and it's repeated and making sure that they get that payday, right? So how do you guys do the rewards? Are they helping out around the house to earn that? Do you guys do an allowance? What's the plan at the Phillips household? So we acknowledge this is uh, tying it to chores is one of the subjects that I think is the most sensitive. People get really passionate about talking about whether or not money should be tied to to chores specifically or to work. The approach that we decided to take that worked for us was that we saw we would have spent money anyways. In, in our old system, in the old spaghetti method days, every once in a while we would buy them something. So we saw them getting a base amount of money that was meant for financial education. We didn't tie it to chores. In our, in our minds, there's certain chores you have to do around the house. family. They're not optional. It's, you're not allowed to say, oh, I don't need money this week. I'm not going to do my chores. So really, the chores are a must-do. You get the, the money, but we do have opportunities for them to add more money. So some of those extra chores around the house, for example, I had the kids one day scan in all of my old paper photos. I wanted to digitize them. So they sat down and went through hundreds of photos and scanned them in because they had something they were saving for and wanted a little bit of extra money. So we do do some of that commission work as well on top of it. But the basic tendon is that there is a certain amount that they will get every two weeks. I love it. I love it. I love that you give them the above and beyond option to make money. Tell us how old your kids are so people can get an understanding of this type of work and what age. Sure. So right now, I started this quite a while ago. So we started this maybe six or seven years ago. So right now, we have kids who are 18, 15, and 12. But when we started, they were actually quite a bit younger than that. Okay, very cool. Well, let's get nerdy on the mortgage freedom thing, because that's kind of how I, I, I like that quite a bit. So why is a mortgage-free future important for your kids? Is that something you've been talking to them about? And why is that something that is important for your family? Absolutely. I think it fits into that investment component that we really wanted to bring into this. So the bottom line, and I know you talk about this and we hear it so much, is the, that whole concept of financial freedom. And I think the best way I love, there's a Warren Buffett quote, and I'm going to misquote it here, but the idea that he said about his kids, I want to give them enough, they can do anything, but not so much they can do nothing. Now, I know most of us don't have the resources available that Warren Buffett does. I love the sentiment in quote, because the whole goal here, when we say financial freedom, the goal really is to give them options in the future. And I think a mortgage is such a major commitment and it can be such a major impact on our resources and on our finances. When we're mortgage free, we have so much more flexibility to decide. We have flexibility to say, I want to take my summers off and spend them with my kids. You might be able to do that more likely when you don't have a mortgage to pay. I want to take time off in the winter. I want to be able to go work for a charity that's going to have a lower salary than another job. It provides 
provides you that flexibility to do whatever you want. It's not about letting them do nothing. Yeah. Is that something you guys have prioritized as a family or is that a goal in the future you're looking to do? Absolutely. Financial freedom is something we are constantly working towards diversifying our own income. It's something my husband and I take seriously. We do workshops on weekends sometimes. We do, we've done a course over the last year together and we sit down together once a week. So we are constantly learning about ways to invest. We're constantly learning about how we can achieve our own financial freedom sooner But it it goes back to what a lot of people say. I wish I had started earlier. I wish when I was their age, I had started then setting aside money and I had started thinking about these concepts at an earlier age. Well, you guys are giving that gift to your children now. So let's talk about how you use that invest envelope or that invest sleeve to help them to become mortgage free in the future. How does that process work? As I said earlier, they take a certain portion of their money and they're going to set that money aside into investing. And at a young age, I hear from a lot of people saying, wait, kids are really young. Do I need to be doing this? Do they really need to be saving for their mortgage? That $2 that my son put in his first week when he was six, is that really going to make him mortgage free later? And I think it's not always only about the actual financial impact. It's about building those habits earlier. It's about building that investing muscle. It's that that it's automatic that you take some of your money and you pay yourself first. You set that money aside for something and then it will start to grow. So the money setting aside at six and seven and eight necessarily isn't going to have a huge impact, but it's getting that ball rolling. It's setting him up with the good habits that he's going to use in the future. And then it starts to build an amount so that as he gets older, now that he's 12, for example, using our youngest, We have a little bit of money to play with that we can start investing that into something. We had some great discussions with them over the Christmas break around stocks and investing. And you can see the wheels start to turn. You see that they start to understand how you can use money to make money. And then you can see them starting to ask the questions about what that would mean for them in the future. If you kept doing this, if you kept growing it, what does it mean about your need to work all the time or work full time? So I I think it goes through different stages. It's about building that habit initially and then starting to see some of the returns on it and then starting to have that money available to them that will have compounded and grown by the time they are of that age that they start looking at their first home, that they have some money there to play with. Not all of us are in a situation that we're just going to be able to hand money over to our kids to make a down payment on a home. But if they're saving little bit by little bit as they're younger, they're going to have a great head start as they're older. Well, that's great. I know that there's big differences in investing options between the U.S. and Canada, but overall, the money you're placing in these accounts, is it in your name? Is it in their name? Is it a custodial account? How does that work? We looked at a number of different options. We've put it into a trust account for them. So it's managed by ourselves as adults, but it is in their name. Got it. Got it. Yeah. So there's something similar like a UGMA here in the United States where it's a Uniform Gift to Minors Act where you're able to invest and you have control over, but it's in their name for the future when they get to a certain age. So at a certain age, are you going to say, all right, the reins are now yours. I hope you don't mess it up. Like, how's that process going to go? So we haven't been through it yet. So I think I'm still speaking with those rosy goggles of how this is going to play out. (laughs) I do see it as being something where they will have to come to us with a business case as to how they want to use that money. So it's easy to say if they finish school and they decide at that point in time that they found a home, they know where they want to start to settle down and buy a house. I think that that's an easier situation, but I think there's a lot of variance that can happen. We've talked with them about the possibility if they end up going away to school in another 
another city, maybe by second year, they'll want to buy a home and have some of their, their classmates rent out room. And that's another great way to learn to start paying down to pay off that mortgage sooner is a great lesson that they can learn and a great investment for them. Or maybe settling down into a home isn't going to be their longer term plan. Maybe they're going to want to start their own business and they see that as being money that they can use as their initial capital in that. Or maybe they're going to get really interested in stock investing and really want to and study it and grow their knowledge and then want to use that as the basis. So I think we will have some flexibility. It's not going to be you have to buy a home, acknowledging that they at some point will become independent and be able to make their own decisions on what they want their life to, to work at. But I think they'll have to show us that they do have a plan for that money and it's not just going to be their fun Friday night money. <laughs> I love it. That's great. Well, let's look forward. Let's say, you know, you said your oldest is 18. Is that right? Correct. Yeah. So let's say your 18 year old is now 28 and they are at that point where they want to make the decision about buying their home and they do that. They go through that plan and they're able to buy it mortgage free. What is your hope for them with that purchase that it'll allow for them to make decisions in their lives? What, what is your hope for them as you look forward in the future? I want them to really feel that ability to choose. I think like every parent, I want them to be happy. And I think so much when we have freedom, people are happier when you're making your own decision. Sometimes you you can love a job, but just the feel that I have to be here. I'm here because I have to be to make ends meet versus I'm here because this is what I want to be doing today. This is what I want to be dedicating my time to, I think can make all the difference in the world from a mind perspective. So I want them to be able to, to have freedom to choose how they're spending their time. And really that all boils down to just happiness. It's not about the money. It's about buying that freedom and buying the happiness that can come with it. I love that sentiment. Thank you so much for sharing that because that's what I feel about my kids too. And it's about what I feel about our, our future too. I mean, we're, you know, in our thirties and we would love to, you know, have options and create a life that is not a have to, it's because we want to kind of situation. So let, let's talk to the parent that's listening right now that says, you know, I am not very good with money at all. Like how can I teach my kids about how to pay their mortgage off in the future or just any of these concepts if I'm not that great with money myself? I love this question. My first message is you do not have to be perfect. I am not perfect. I still make mistakes. And in fact, mistakes are part of it, right? I want my kids, people people find this strange when I say it, I want my kids to go out now and make mistakes because the reality is we are all going to make mistakes. We are going to take some of that spending money and we are going to blow it on something and then the next day wish we had it for something else. I want them to go on holidays and blow it day one and wish they had it on day three, not out of any evil sentiment, but because that's that's where you're going to learn. They're not just going to learn from me saying things. I know half of what I say goes in one ear and out the other. They're going to learn by doing and experiencing. And I want them to make the mistakes now when the stakes are low instead of when the, later when the stakes are large. I'd prefer you to blow a bit of allowance money than blowing your first rent income or, or mortgage payment. That said, there are great things when we just start these basic practices, start setting the money aside. It's not really all about teaching them about investing. Like I said, that came much later for us. And really, if we didn't want to be sitting and talking about stocks and investing right now with them, we didn't have to be. What was so important is number one, 
empowering our kids, showing our kids that they have choices when it comes to how to direct money, having them practice how to make some choices, not to be scared of money. So many people grow up as just ostriches when it comes to finances and not wanting to acknowledge it. So getting them comfortable and empowered around money and then building the habits. Habits are so important. One of my favorite stories around this is we hit a certain point where our oldest came to us and said, you know what? You don't need to teach me how to save anymore. I don't need to set aside money into savings anymore. I know how to save. And I kind of stopped and looked at him and said, well, the fact that you're saying this to me shows that that maybe we do need to work on it a little bit more. Because the point isn't telling you how to save. Most adults know how to save. It's it's a pretty simple concept. You don't spend. Like you, you keep it instead of spending it. But it's the act of doing it. Not everyone does it. A lot of people struggle with the actual act of doing. So a lot of the point of this is just building those habits, building savings habit, building the investing habit, making it become automatic and letting them see some wins out of doing that. When you talk about habits and habit loops and there's rewards at the end, letting them experience some of the rewards that they understand why these habits are something that they're going to want to continue to carry forward. So even if you're not comfortable with money, even if you're not comfortable with some of the techniques I myself am not perfect at this. My husband rolls over in the morning and looks at his phone and says, futures are up today. And I say, I still don't know exactly what futures are, hon. So it's not about understanding all the concepts and all of the lingo. It's about starting to build those habits and building kids that are comfortable with concept of money. I love it. That's great. Well, there's somebody listening right now that's saying, well, I want my kids to be mortgage free in the future. That sounds super cool. What is the first step they should take after they finish this interview? So I would say definitely building on my last answer, it's all about habits. Just start. It doesn't matter what age they are. Certainly younger is is better. The younger you start, the more it's going to ingrain. Kids naturally, as they're getting older and older, are becoming more and more independent and making their own decisions. So when you start younger, I know I'm overly stereotyping, but they do listen a little bit easier as they get older. They're stretching those independence muscles. So just start building that habit. $2 at the beginning isn't going to make all the difference in being mortgage free, but it's the habit that that's building is what's going to make the difference. The other simple thing to do is learning through games. I'm re- I'm really big on, I can't just, if I just sit and lecture my kids on money, I can see their eyes glaze over, but we were playing Monopoly yesterday and just the, the act of playing that game, learning that if you just go around that board and every time you pass, go collect your money and you never spend any of it, you don't get as far ahead as if you invest that money, as if you you put it into properties that are going to build more money. There's so many great that. And we even have, sorry, I'm going a little off topic of your question, but we even have the version of Monopoly that I started using with them with the cards, which I didn't like at first. I thought they need to touch the money. But this is a great way for them to understand that a card is really tied to an amount of money that's on that card. It's not a card that can buy anything there's a balance tied to it. And I think it's really helping to make our kids have that connection to what what debit cards are, that they're not something you can just use endlessly. And so I, I'd really encourage learning through games and getting in with, playing with your kids and introducing these topics in a fun manner that isn't just something serious and we're going to sit and learn about money right now. Sarah, I think that's fantastic. Building habits and then making it fun because money can be fun. It's true. It's true, everybody. Where's the best place for people to connect with you and learn more about the four pocket allowance system? Absolutely. So we have a website, fourpocketallowance.com, and that's the number four. Uh, But we'd also love for you to come and hang out with us on Facebook or or on Instagram, where we have all kinds of material all about teaching kids about money. 
Awesome. Well, Sarah, thank you so much for your time today. This was a really fun and unique conversation, and I'm glad we could do it. Thank you. Thank you. I've had a great time. It's amazing what's possible with some focus, planning, and action. A bright financial future for our kids and a relaxing early retirement for us. Man, that sounds pretty good. Thank you, Sam, and thank you, Sarah, for helping us reach our family financial goals. As a quick reminder, everybody, this show is for entertainment purposes only. Be sure to seek out a professional for your specific financial situation. Before we go for the day, I'd like to ask you to do one quick thing to support this show. Please text two of your friends right now with a link to this podcast or your favorite Marriage, Kids, and Money podcast episode. The best way that I've found to grow this show is by people recommending it. So your personal recommendation would mean a lot to me. Thank you. In the spirit of growth and inspiration, I'm going to end the show with a quote today from Eleanor Roosevelt. It takes as much energy to wish as it does to plan. Let's start planning the life we want for our families and take some action. Carpe diem. 